I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2. We're going to look at the first three verses as we continue our study of this letter of the Apostle Peter's. Hear now God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. May the Lord bless the reading and hearing of his word. Write its truth upon our hearts today. This last week I was working on the side bed in the front yard of our house. It's been somewhat neglected, it's overgrown, which is not a bad thing because it provides a a little shield from the next door neighbors, and so I haven't really paid much attention to it. And so I I had received a, a new plant from Melba, thank you. And I wanted to put that over there in that bed. And so to do so, I I started trimming and cutting back. And there's a lot of weeds there. You know, you don't have to do anything to get weeds to grow. And for the plants that are there, the good plants that are there, to become undernourished. The soil's not great there. It needs some help. Uh, But this was a a reminder, as as I was turning my attention to studying uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, these verses before us today, Uh, that we as Christians are are like that flower bed. You know, if if we neglect our spiritual lives, weeds will grow, sin will flourish, and the good graces that God has planted in us will suffer. And so today as we think about these words from uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, we're, we're thinking about Christian growth. How can we grow as Christians? And this is obviously the need of the hour. The church needs to grow, to be more holy, as Peter's already uh, exhorted us to in chapter 1, verse 14. Uh, To be a faithful church, as I pray, to to bear a faithful testimony to the world in which we live that's increasingly hostile to morality, increasingly hostile to Christianity. Part of the problem is that the church has failed to hold up the standard of God's holiness to a lost and dying world. Well, there are three things that we can draw from this passage. Hopefully you have an outline that I provided for you. Uh, Three things. Number one, most importantly, before anything else that we draw from this passage, we must taste and see the goodness of the Lord. That's the most important thing, and I'll explain that in a moment. And then secondly, if we want to grow spiritually, we've got to put away sin. And then thirdly, if we want to grow spiritually, we have to spiritually feed ourselves on God's Word. Christian growth one-on-one for most of us. A good reminder and encouragement, I hope, today. But let's look at this first point, most importantly. Before anything else, before we look at uh, points two and three, the most important thing for you to consider today and think about is have you tasted and seen that the Lord is good? Uh, 
you, you'll, if you look at our English translation here, it's two sentences, verses 1, 2, and 3 uh, are two sentences. But in the original language, and I think this is important to note, it is one sentence. It's a one complete thought. What's expressed here by Peter is, is one whole thought, and I've just broken it down into three points, but they all hang together. They're dependent upon one another. You can't just have spiritual growth if you have one or two of these points. You have to have all three in order to be a healthy, growing Christian. And number one, first of all, primary importance is the last thing that he says in verse 3 because it lays out the primary condition, the, that which must be true for you to grow. You must have tasted that the Lord is good. Then put away sin. Then long for the spiritual milk of the word. So, it's of primary importance to you to answer this question today. Have, have you tasted that the Lord is good? Now, this is a reference to Psalm 34. We read the verse in our call to worship this morning. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. If you want to flip over to Psalm 34, it's a wonderful, wonderful psalm of David. One of my favorites. And it says this, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. So there's this, first of all, there's this invitation to give praise to God, to worship God, to be thankful to the Lord. And then he tells us why. Verse 4, I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. O oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. O oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Peter must have been reading this as he's writing, as he's writing this letter to these aliens and strangers because he's saying the same thing. Turn away from evil. Put away evil. Put away sin. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones, not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. David has tasted that the Lord is good, and he's singing about it, and he's inviting other people to, to have that experience. Have you had that experience? Can you say that your soul boasts in the Lord? That you look to the Lord, you have sought the Lord, that you have been saved and delivered by him? Do you take refuge in Christ alone for salvation? If not, then anything I say after this will not apply. That's the most important thing. 
I'm about to tell you to, to make a practice of putting away sin. Uh, but if you do that without Christ, you've got the cart before the horse. Because you can't really put away sin without Christ. You cannot conquer it, you can't put it to death without the Spirit of Christ in you. You can become a moralist. You can become a, a good person. And that's, a, that's, that's a, probably a more dangerous place to be because you've given yourself the illusion that you're okay with the Lord because you're following a set of rules and you don't really have a relationship with God. You're just a moral person. The difference between a moralist and a true Christian who is dealing death blows to his or her sin is as different as a picture of the sun and the sun itself in the sky. You know, the picture of the sun may look like the sun, may be a very faithful rendition of the sun, but there's no light nor is there heat in the picture. There's no, there's no life, no vibrance, no vigor. So to be a moralist without Christ... It gives you the illusion of righteousness. It gives you the illusion of Christianity. But there's no light, nor, there, nor is there heat. So the most important thing for all of us here today is to make sure that you have a saving interest in Christ. Are you in Christ? Are you united to Him by faith? John Owen said, There is no death of sin without the death of Christ. If you haven't appropriated what Christ has done in his life, death, and resurrection for yourself, then there's no way you're going to be able to put sin to death in your life, truly. But if you have tasted that the Lord is good, then point number two, moving along. Grow spiritually by putting away sin. That's where he begins. Verse one, put away all malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander. Let's, let's see what he's asking here. What is, he, what is he commanding us to do? What are we putting away? First thing he mentions is malice. The word means wickedness. Uh, very general term. Put away all wickedness. That's a blanket statement right there. All, all evil, all wickedness, all badness. Be good. Be righteous. Deceit. Treachery. Trickery. Uh, the opposite would be honesty, openness, truthfulness. So put, put away deceit. Be an honest person. Put away hypocrisy. The word hypocrisy comes from a word, uh, the word for actor. So an actor is someone who pretends to be someone else. You're playing a part. You're pretending to be someone else. Of course, we know what hypocrites are. They're someone who looks, looks the part on the outside, but on the inside... There's no life. There's, they're spiritually dead. So put away hypocrisy. Be consistent and forthright, honest. Put away envy, jealousy, spite. In other words, instead of envying and being jealous of what other people have and things that you see, be content. Be content in what the Lord has, has given you. And then slander, which means to speak evil of someone. Instead of speaking evil, put that away. Encourage people. Build others up. Speak the truth in love. In love. Oftentimes people like to speak the truth, and they say they're speaking the truth in love, but there's no love there at all. Speak the truth in love. Truly try to encourage someone. 
even if it means saying some hard things. Now, there are similar commands and lists throughout the New Testament. We could, we could look at, uh, and I think I've listed them there for you, Ephesians 4, put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. Colossians 3, you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. James 1.21, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your soul. Sounds a lot like what Peter's saying here. This is not just one verse. This is repeated over and over throughout Scripture. This is a duty for Christians to put away sin. And that seems apparent, right? Christians should be putting away sin. But how often have we gotten comfortable with our sins? Our holiness that Peter's already enjoined us to be rarely rises above the level of those around us, of the, our Christian culture even, maybe. It's pretty good, but we're supposed to be continuously progressing in holiness. Be holy, that's what he says, verse 14, 15, chapter 1. You shall be holy, for I am holy. Like our Father, we are to be different in a very special way from the rest of the world. We must put away our sins, and we know that this is an important part of the Christian experience because of the other commands and lists in the New Testament that I just mentioned. Another way that the New Testament says it, to even pile on more from that, is in Romans and in Colossians. Paul doesn't just say put away sin. He says put it to death. Romans 8. If you live according to the flesh, you will die, but if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Colossians 3. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. In the King James Version, the word is mortify. Put to death. Mortify the sin. Uh, In that uh, theological term that's used a lot by the Puritans in the 1600s, Uh, Mortification, that's the practice of putting sin away, of killing sin. It's a great old term. We don't use it anymore unless we do in church. We've been reading the Puritans. Now, if we think about the word mortify, the way that we use it today in in modern language is, is a little different. You know, if something mortifies us, we mean that it embarrasses us. I dove off the high dive, and I was mortified to find that once I hit the water, I had lost my swimsuit. You know, I'm mortified, I'm humiliated. Terrible. And what we're, it's, it's, it's not the same usage of the word, but you can see why we have, why we're using the word that way. Well, I'm mortified because I would like to die. I'm so embarrassed that I would like to die right now. That's why we use the word mortified, how we use it today. But that's not the original meaning of the word. It means to put something to death, to mortify something. We use the word mortician. A mortician is someone who deals with the dead, prepares them for burial. That's where the root mort comes from. So when Peter and the other New Testament writers tell us to put away sin, they don't mean just put it away like you're going to put it in your sock drawer for later. What they mean is put it away forever. Kill it. Destroy it. Get rid of it altogether. Don't put it away for later use. 
kill it. Now, it's one thing to say, for me to sit here and say, okay, everybody ought to put away sin. Uh, we need to kill sin in our lives. It's quite another thing to actually do it. How do you do it? How do we put sin away? How do we mortify sin? Well, like I said before, the first step is to put our faith in Christ. We can't do anything without Christ and, and the Holy Spirit's work in us. The Holy Spirit is the one that sanctifies us. Spirit of Christ in us. And we'll talk more about that in a moment. But the way that we do that is to practice repentance, which means we, not just that we say a prayer like we just did, which is you know, part of it. We, we said a prayer here in, in church and a general confession of sin, and then hopefully you took a few moments to confess your sins to the Lord. It's something that we ought to be doing every day of our lives. And Luther nailed his 95 theses to the, to the door of the Wittenberg Church. The first one was all of life is repentance, constantly repenting. Be constantly fighting sin and habitually weakening it. Because sin is always there. It's like the, the weeds in my flower bed. If you neglect it, if you don't pull them out, they're going to grow there. And you don't have to, you don't have to, you don't have to sow seeds to, of weeds to get weeds to grow. They just appear somehow, magically, uh, in, in your flower bed. And they will appear in your life as well. And you've got to pull them out. And sin is very resilient. In the Westminster Confession of Faith, which I've, I've given you these quotes, uh, the, the, the chapter on repentance, chapter 15, says this, By it, repentance, by repentance, a sinner, out of the sight and sense of not only of the danger, but also the filthiness and odiousness of his sins, as contrary to the holy nature and righteous law of God, and upon the apprehension of his mercy in Christ to such as are penitent, so grieves for and hates his sins as to turn from them all unto God, purposing and endeavoring to walk with him in all the ways of his commandments. It's a lot there. This is written in the 1640s, so it uh, might need a little breaking down. But what we're doing when we're repenting, we're, we're taking time out each day, and we're reflecting upon ourselves and our sin, and, and we're getting a, a grasp of the sight and sense of the danger of it, how dangerous it is for me to continue on this path in this sin. And how before God it's filthy and odious and contrary to what God desires for us. Because we tend to rationalize our sins or soft sell them. You know, everybody does that. It's not that bad. Or, you know, I'm not convinced that what I'm doing is really that wrong. Is it wrong? We have to get convinced that sin is wrong before we'll ever put it away. We need to agree with God about what our sin is. And then it turns us to Christ upon the apprehension of his mercy in Christ to such as are penitent. We have to understand that, yes, in repentance we recognize that we're sinners. We recognize that our sins are bad, bad for us, displeasing to God. But we also have to have a notion that, yes, if I turn to Christ, he is a forgiving God. He, he will cleanse me. And that's what Peter has done. He's, 
He's already pointed to redemption as a motivator in, in uh, verse 18 of chapter 1. Conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you are ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. It's as if he's saying, look, you should, you should uh, be circumspect in your life. Avoid sin. Remember that Christ has saved you from sin. Not He just didn't pay a couple of dollars for you. He sacrificed his life to to release you from the guilt of sin, from the bondage to sin, and, and he's working to one day free you from the presence of sin. He came to earth and died and saved you so that to free you from sin. That's the whole purpose behind it. And if, if you're running to sin, you're doing just the opposite of what Christ has done for you. Don't live it any, any longer. And then it goes on to say, after apprehending the the, the, the odiousness of sin and, and that Christ is one that can forgive sin so grieve for it hate your sins turn from them all to God so when we repent it's not just one sin but to resolve to repent of all our sins a universal obedience is what we must be looking at we often hate sins that trip us up and we, we don't like the consequences, maybe. And so we will want to be forgiven for that sin without really giving any attention to all the other sins in our lives. And what confession, what the Bible, many of the theologians would say is, to us is we can't just pick and choose what we've got to be committed to pleasing God in all things. That's what Peter says in, in verse 1. Put away all malice, all deceit, all of it. Not just part of it, all of it. Be resolved to be holy in everything. Purpose and endeavor to walk with him in all the ways of his commandments. This is communing with God, walking with God. We're coming to him with our sin and we're saying, here it is. All of it. And I want to, I want to, now we're not going to be perfect in our lives. We're going to stumble and fall. That's when we need to continue to practice, practice repentance. The Westminster Confession in verse, uh, chapter 15, paragraph 5 says, and I love this, men ought not to content themselves with a general repentance, but it is every man's duty to endeavor to repent of his particular sins particularly. Repent of your particular sins particularly, which requires that you stop and you think about your particular sins and repent of them particularly. To reflect, which means we have to put down the cell phones, we have to put down the tablets and turn off the TV and spend some time reflecting and in prayer coming before the Lord, repenting of our sins. If we want to, our spiritual life to flourish with vigor, power, and comfort, then we must be in the practice of putting sin to death. And they're stubborn. One of the worst things about I'm about to go on my annual pheasant hunt, and a uh, great time, and, you know, we kill some birds. We clean some birds. It's not a bad thing to, you know, it's not a, to me, it's not a horrible thing to clean a bird, you know, skin it and 
pull out its guts and all that because it's dead. The worst thing about it is when you shoot one and they're not quite dead yet. And you have to wring its neck, basically. You have to literally choke the life out of the poor bird. And that's, that's what we're talking about here. I know it's graphic and somewhat disturbing. But that's what we're talking about, sin. Sin is resilient. And, and what we're doing when we practice repentance, we're choking the life out of the sins that so easily beset us. Secondly, I'll just leave that there. <laughs> First, we must know Christ. Secondly, we must put sin to death. And then thirdly, to grow spiritually, we've got to feed on this word. We've got to be nourished. He says in verse 2, gives us this picture, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. Now that word, uh, if, you, if you've got a different uh, uh, translation where it says long for the pure spiritual milk here, it might say long for the, the milk of the word. Uh, there's, a, there's a word there, it's logikos, logikos, comes from the word logos, which means word in Greek. Uh, it's translated different ways. It pertains to words, pertains to reason. Uh, in Romans 12, 1, uh, this is your reasonable service. This is your spiritual service. Uh, there in the end of, of uh, the verse of Romans 12, 1, it's the same word in these two places. It's the only place that's in the Scripture. And what it's saying is, Long for the spiritual milk, something that is spiritually nourishing to your soul. Uh, you can translate it, long for the milk of the word. It means the same thing. We know that he's talking about the word because in verse 18 uh, of the previous uh, verses, that's exactly what he was saying. Um, well, verse 23 of chapter 1. You've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding Word of God. The Word of God is living and abiding. It's not just a normal book, the Bible. It's a, a living Word. It's, it's, it abides forever. All flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the Word of the Lord remains forever. And this is the good news that was preached to you. The good news is what gave you life in the first place. The good news is what through which the Holy Spirit uh, brought you to regeneration. You heard the word and you were called effectually by it. But it also is how we get nourished, like newborn babies. Uh, newborn babies must be fed in order to grow. They need their milk or they will die. And if they don't get their milk, they're going to cry and scream for it, right? They're going to throw a fit. And that's how we need to be. That's what Peter's saying to us. Be like a newborn infant. Long for the milk of the Word. Long for that nourishment. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. We must have the Word. We must have it or we will die. So yes, we can put away sin, but we also need to be nourished spiritually through the Word. 
to take time out, not only to reflect upon our own sin, but to take time out and invest some study, some reading of the Word of God so that it can do its work in us. Isaiah 55, The rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. So Isaiah is saying, look, you know, the water, the snow falls, and it doesn't just, you know, evaporate and go back up. You know, that's part of the water cycle. But there's a lot that happens to water in between the snowfall, the rainfall, and then ultimate evaporation back into clouds. It waters the earth. It, it waters the crops. Uh, a man harvests the wheat. He goes and makes some bread. We, the, 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 the bread is used to, to, for humans to eat and to grow. And See, there, there's something that happens the rain, when the rain falls. God's word goes forth and it doesn't just disappear. It does a great work. And when we put ourselves under the rainfall of God's word, we will flourish. We will grow. We will be nourished. And if we neglect that, it's no wonder we're not growing spiritually. We've cut ourselves off from our food source. So spend time in the Word. Now, as I said before, all three of these are important together. We must be converted. We must fight with sin and habitually choke it to death. And we must spend time in the Word. And if we do those things, then the Lord will grant us growth. It's all dependent, of course, upon the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one that sanctifies us, that makes us more holy, that causes us to grow. But we also have a duty. If you look at the quote on the front of the bulletin, John Owen says, The Holy Ghost works in us and upon us as we are fit to be wrought in and upon. In other words, as we spend time in the Word, as we spend time in prayer, repenting of our sins, so as to preserve our own liberty and free obedience. He works upon our understandings, wills, consciences, and affections. He changes those things. He changes our understanding. He changes our will to, to do things that, that we might not want to do or, or to stop doing things that we want to do that are wrong. Our consciences he changes. Our affections, what we love and desire, changes agreeably to their own natures. And I love this statement. He works in us and with us, not against us, or without us. When we spend time praying and repenting, when we spend time in his word, we're putting ourselves in a position for the Holy Spirit to work in us and with us. See, some people might object, uh, it's a duty. Uh, you know, this duty that I have to do is, a, is, is drudgery. It's not a delight. Why don't we spend time repenting? Why don't we spend time in the word? Because we don't want to. We want to do something else. We don't delight in it. I read a great article this week, and it encouraged us to, to remember that we often find delight in the duty. As we, as we engage in the duty, it's not until we actually engage in the duty that we discover the delight in it. Yes, sometimes we just have to say, I, I must do this for my own good, for my own feeding, for my own spiritual well-being. And we might not desire to do that. But I guarantee as we engage in the duty, we will learn to delight in the duty. 
And I want to encourage you to do that today. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for these words of Peter, your word that you gave to Peter. And we do pray, Lord, that you would help us to engage in the fight with sin and and to not neglect uh, your word in our lives. And Lord, we pray that all of us would taste and see that you are good before we engage in these things and then especially after we engage in these things. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.